What's going on gamers? Welcome back to the Graveyard. I'm the Graveyard Gamer and thank you for joining me for this episode of Graveyard Gamer because I am back. That's right. You know what? I was gone for a couple weeks. Unfortunately, I had some things I had to take care of and I really did try to get you guys covered for the last couple of weeks of content, but I had some major scheduling conflicts and I just couldn't get it done. But that's okay because I'm excited about this episode because I've been wanting to talk to you guys about the Hitman Freelancer mode. I talked about that a couple months ago. I was very excited. It finally released. And guess what? I've got to play it. I want to give you my thoughts on it, my first impressions, explain what it is, give you a couple hints, and then kind of give you a score, if you will, for just that mode. Then I want to talk about all this drama surrounding exclusives with Xbox buying a couple of publishers, the rumor of PlayStation looking at a publisher. I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about what my opinion of how specifically Xbox with all these publishers that they're buying and all the studio under it, how they should handle what games are exclusive to Xbox and what games should be made available on PlayStation as well. And then I want to get into a packed graveyard shift because while I was away, I did get some time to play some PlayStation and I got a lot of time on the Switch that I want to talk about. So with that being said, let's jump in and let's talk about that Hitman Freelancer mode. So gamers, let's talk about that Hitman Freelancer mode. And ultimately, once you jump into Hitman World of Assassination, you'll see the new Freelancer mode tab. You click into it, and you're going to load into Agent 47's new home. That's right, he has a safe house, he has a new hub to get everything going. But I'll talk about more about those details in just a minute, because the whole point of Freelancer mode is completing campaigns. That's right, the more you complete these campaigns, the more missions you do, the more XP you earn, to use into upgrading your safe house, seeing the amount of weapons and items you can take on a mission and all that stuff. And I'll talk about that again in just a minute. But you load into your safe house, you go up to this big screen and you start a campaign. What exactly is a campaign? Well, the whole point of a campaign is to take down four syndicate leaders over the course of 18 different missions. And I know that sounds weird, like four syndicate leaders, 18 missions, how does that work? It's because to get to a syndicate leader, you actually have to complete a couple of regular missions. So you'll take those out, then you go to a showdown mission, which is where the target will be one of those syndicate leaders. And it starts off with the first set of missions will be two regular missions, then your showdown mission. Then you'll have the next set, which will be three regular missions and a showdown mission. And it'll increase like that until you get to overall 18 total missions completed. Now, what is the difference between a regular mission and a showdown mission? This is where a lot of the fun happens in this game. A regular mission is very similar to any of the missions you completed in the Hitman War of Assassination trilogy. Ultimately, you're going to go in there, and depending on how far in the campaign you are, if you're earlier in the campaign, it's probably only going to be one target. The further you get into it, it's going to go to three or four different targets in each map, and they're just going to be regular NPCs. And I almost think it's randomized. I'm not quite sure because I've had people that are surrounded with people. I've had people that look like business leaders. And then I've also had just random waiters or I've had people on a bridge that is, you know, just kind of looking out being a tourist. Those are your targets. So it's kind of random, but you got to find ways to take them out. A showdown mission, though, taking those syndicate leaders is actually extremely interesting. And it's a whole new twist on the Hitman uh, formula because you go into it, you have no idea who they are. You only have a few tells that Diana will tell you about. Maybe they're a smoker. Maybe they're on their way to a business meeting. Maybe they're wearing a hat. Maybe they're a bookworm. Whatever it may be, those are the only things you have. Now, once you get into the maps on a regular mission, you can still hold down instincts. You can still see the red outline of the target. And you can actually look up your map and, and see where they're at on there. On a showdown mission, 
you can't see them. There's no instinct to show you where they're at. However, what you can do is pull up your map and you can actually see possible targets. And it's your job at that point to kind of follow them around and see do they have all the tails that you need. Maybe you notice they have everything except for it said they're wearing a hat and they're not wearing one. So you can use your handy dandy camera, pull it up and mark them off as not a suspect. Or once you find that person you think is it, you can mark them as your primary suspect as you continue going around doing the detective work before you ultimately move in for the kill. I think that is just a fantastic way to differentiate those. It keeps it different. It keeps you kind of guessing as well. Now you're going to start this mode off virtually weaponless. I mean, you're not going to have anything. The silver ballers, gone. The silenced weapons, gone. Most of it is just absolutely gone. In fact, I think in your safe home, one of the first rooms you can find is a stethoscope. And that's how you're going to strangle people. You don't have the fiber wire. You also are not going to be able to unlock new entry points for these maps. So, for example, over the course of 18 missions, you might go to Miami. And you might do that three or four times. However, it doesn't matter how you do it. You're never going to get the option to start off in the pit crew or behind the scenes. You're always going to start off at the same entry point. So it really is a little bit of a challenge and something you got to pay attention to. Now, you will gain weapons by picking them up in the mission, and as long as you bring them back to the safe house on a successful completion and you store them in the armory, they'll stay there. Same thing for when you complete a mission, you're going to get a choice of one to three different items that you can choose from, and they will be unlocked from then on in your safe house. However, when you complete a showdown, you're actually going to get a higher grade item that you can store in your safe house as well. Just be aware that any items or weapons you take on a mission with you that you drop or you don't pick up you will not have those anymore they have to return to your safe house and be locked up for them to count as something that you have going forward however that's the reward part of it it is a risk versus reward this is very roguelike what happens if you fail one of these missions so should you fail a regular mission you're going to lose all the items that you brought back with you you're also going to lose half the money that you've collected in this game so far now should you fail or you die during a showdown, that's it. Your campaign is over. You're going to lose all those reward items that you have unlocked so far. And you're also going to lose any weapons that you have not stored in that armory. However, if you fail a campaign but you've been storing items, it's fine. This mode is meant to be played over and over again, so those will stay there. It's the items that you're really going to lose. Now, the fun thing about this is... You're going to use this mission screen to kind of pick up where you're going to go, right? So you start a campaign off, and what I like about this is you get to pick your locations for each set of missions. So the first one, I told you, there's two regular missions and a showdown mission. So you're going to pick one of the different play styles and sets of missions that you want to choose from. So you're going to kind of look at that as two different ways. One, you want to pick locations that you're familiar with, that you say you like Paris and Whittleton Creek. And they just all happen to be in one set of missions. Sweet, right? But say that playstyle is Silent Assassin. That means all the bonuses and the side objectives are going to be tied around being quiet, being sneaky. Maybe that's not your preferred playstyle. You might not want to go there then. And you're going to have eight different sets of missions that you can choose from before you start each different set of missions. So it's really cool. It gives you a little bit of a choice, if you will, a little bit of options. And those different play styles and those objectives, those are important because that's how you make the most money. Completing missions and taking out targets are going to get you a little bit of money. But once you start taking out those side objectives, 
man, that's where you make a ton of money. And that's important because each of the maps have different places where you can buy smuggled weapons, right? So you want that silenced baller? Guess what? The best way to get it is find it in the game with one of the you know contracts out there that's willing to sell it for you, but they're expensive. You might need $18,000 for that and only make $500 per target. So it's kind of one of those things where you want to be you know, paying attention before you start each set of missions, what works best for you. Because if you choose Silent Assassin and you're very good at it, hey man, you can make a lot of money. But let's say you decide to pick the loud banging one, right? Where they want you to go shoot people and whatnot. That might get you into situations where you might fail or you might have a lot of people on you. Or what I think is a really cool twist between those two styles specifically is Silent Assassin. If you're hiding bodies and you're doing things, you know, the Silent Assassin way, the rest of that mission set, they're not going to know you're coming for that leader. However, if you're going in loud and brash and taking people out, getting those side objectives done, if you do that in the first mission, the second mission, people are going to be a little bit more alert because they know that an assassin's on the way. And when you go into that showdown mission, they're going to know like, hey, we need to be looking out for Agent 47. He's on the way. So it, it adds a little bit of risk versus reward. But like I said, there's multiple different play styles. There's one for just kind of playing normal. There's Silent Assassin. There's the loud one. There's one for using poisons. There's one for using environmental kills. All of these things. And like I said, as you progress through the campaign, you know, they'll increase from a couple missions to four missions, five missions, whatever it is. And it's just something to kind of pay attention to because you want to balance, hey, I like these areas versus I'd rather do this play style. But the biggest change to this mode, and I talked about it, is that safe house. That safe house is your new hub. You're going to go in there. That is where you're able to store the weapons that you brought back. As long as you bring a weapon back and you put it in the armory, it is yours to keep. That's also where you'll find your rewards. It's where your items will be. It's where you'll select the mission when you're ready to go on one. What mission's next? It's where you'll change your outfit. All the regular outfits, the suits and whatnot from the World of Assassination trilogy are in there. You can wear any of them to start a mission off. Just be aware you're not going to be able to change into disguises and say, hey, I'm going to wear the race car driver one or the pit crew driver one to start off a Miami level. You're not going to get to do that. And it's also where you will improve your rank as you've completed missions. That mastery level will go up. And what's really cool about that is that will help you increase how many items and weapons you can take out with you. But when it comes to the safe house itself, it allows you more access to more areas. In the beginning, you're only really allowed in the basement, which has your wardrobe in it. It also has kind of the room where Agent 47 sleeps, I guess, in a medical bed. And then it has your armory and whatnot. However, the more you upgrade, the more you're able to go outside. Once you get outside, then you have access to a shed at another level. Once you get into that shed, man, if you have the wrench and you have certain items, you can now create different poisons to take with you. So there's a reason and a benefit to keep improving, keep playing this game, because this game is definitely meant to play through multiple, multiple campaigns. You don't just want to do one and done. The more you play the higher level, the more you unlock. And like I said, you start off virtually weaponless. The more you play, the more you get, the more rewards you have, the more you feel, I would say, classic Agent 47, where you have a ton of options at your disposal. Now that actually does bring me to my thoughts on the game so far and I'll give you a couple hints and I'll give you my overall feelings. I put about 10 and a half hours into this and I have not finished my first campaign yet. Honestly, I failed my very first mission. I got seen in Colorado, probably easily the most hated map of the War of Assassination trilogy, right? I got seen, got shot at. Luckily, I didn't really lose too much. One, it was a regular mission and it was my first one, so, you know, not a whole lot of loss there. However, I'm on my final set of missions and my final set of missions actually has five regular missions and a sixth one being the showdown. 
However, out of those five, every single one of them has three to four targets each. And I do believe that for me, the missions are better off between one and two targets. Once you get three or four, it just becomes too normal Hitman, right? It's almost like, okay, well, now I'm playing the Germany level and it's the same thing I've done before, right? I, I liked it, the one or two, that gave you a big map to explore, to have fun with, to get creative with. And also, it was kind of fun to get in there and take out a couple targets over the course of a couple missions in a matter of moments. I remember one time I was telling my good friend Hulking Yoda over at Lost at Sea Gaming, great gaming podcast right on Anchor, I called him up on my lunch break and I was like, dude, in 30 minutes, I took down two regular missions and the showdown mission. Like, that was fun to me. Once you start getting into the three and four targets, it starts taking a lot of time. Plus the fact that you can't, you know, go in with the disguises. You can't start a new entry point. A lot of times it really does draw the missions out even longer. And, you know, I wish they would have done that. I wish, you know, once you completed one area the first time, maybe the second time you went to them, and maybe you did get a new entry point and a new disguise just to kind of ease things up just a little bit. I think for me, the biggest holdback is starting off so stripped down because it makes your first campaign, especially the first half of it, just it, it just makes it feel like you're way too handicapped. Like you don't even feel like you're playing a Hitman game at that point because when you start off Hitman, you have so many different options and this kind of takes a lot of that from you. Now, the good thing is the more you play, like I've talked about many times, the more you unlock, the more you gain, the more it starts to be a fun Hitman experience. So what I do think would happen is once I complete this campaign and I go through, you know, kind of the pain in the butt at the end of taking on so many different targets in each of these missions and I start a new campaign, but now I've got a lot of new reward items and I've got a lot of new weapons, I'm going to be better off on those first half of that campaign. And when I get done with that full campaign, the third campaign, I'm even better off. So I do see how over time it becomes better. It grows with you. But I just think, you know, in the beginning, it gets kind of tough and it's a little bit hard, if you will. Uh, and then, like I said, the three to four targets on a map to me is just kind of a, a buzzkill. Now, the biggest tip I can give you is ultimately how you handle the map and the order in which the missions you take go. And the reason I say that is once you select what play style and what set of missions, it's up to you to determine what order you take those missions out in. So I would always look at it as which map was I least excited about going on, especially if that map also had more targets. Because here's a trick. As I mentioned, when you go to a showdown mission, it is only you chasing down that syndicate leader. So say that you're not a big fan of, I keep bringing it up, say you're not a big fan of Miami, right? And that one has three different targets in it, but the other two missions you're going to go to only have one. Well, take those out as regular missions. The last one will be Miami, and now you've erased a couple of targets and you only have that leader to go after. So it's a way to kind of minimize it. It's a way to make it an easier experience. But that's the biggest one is make sure you're being smart with the order in which you take down these missions. But other than that, the biggest thing I can tell you, and this is a cheat. This is 100% a cheat, but I'm not going to lie. I didn't feel too bad about doing it because of the fact you're so handicapped. There is no saving in any of these missions. If you die, you die. You can't sit there and go, okay, before I go in this room, I'm going to save it. No, there's no save option. So here's what you do. You find yourself in a sticky situation. You don't like where it's going. Exit out to the main menu. Exit all the way out to the PlayStation dashboard and close the game. When you load it back up, you'll be able to restart that mission brand new. If not and you die, well, I've already told you what you lose. Overall, my thoughts on this mode is this. I think it's really good. I think it's going to get really good the more times you play the campaign. 
I wish they would have done some stuff to kind of make it more fun in the beginning because my first campaign, the middle of it, I was having a blast. I had unlocked enough items to make it interesting, to take some things with me. I was able to easily get through some of these regular missions and then get to the next showdown. Once I got to kind of the back half of it and I started getting more and more targets in a level, it was less fun. I had less items to do. The struggle of starting off in the same entry point. And to be honest with you, I know there's 18 missions, but it also felt like sometimes I was going to the same map in every set of missions. The reason I've brought up Miami so many times is I think I've went to Miami almost every single set of missions. And that's me trying to be varied in my play styles. That's me trying to be varied in the places I go. But it just feels like there's some missions they just keep wanting you to go to. I wish it was easier to get some of these items. I, there's no reason why... I've brought back screwdrivers many times, but they don't save because they're not the right type. There's, you know, the annoyance where, hey, man, you've unlocked a new item and it's, a, you know, proximity ducky, right? And you throw the ducky and it blows up when the person gets next to him. That's awesome. My issue is once you use it, it's gone. I wish these things were more replenishable because I like some of those items. So I just feel like overall you start to lose some of the things that make Hitman so much fun. You lose some of those tools that make Hitman fun. I wish there was a way that they could go in there and kind of adjust that a little bit. It's not like I want it to be a lot easier, but I kind of was excited to get to play Hitman and, and a new experience on each of these levels, but it does feel a little bit too restrictive at times. But that's the negative. The positive is this gives you a whole new way to experience the World of Assassination Trilogy. It gives you new opportunities to go back to these missions and try out new things because you're going after a lot of random targets. And that's a lot of fun. It, it's a, very similar to playing a lot of contracts online, the contracts mode where it's multiplayer. It's just fresh. I'll put it like this. I started off thinking, okay, I want to play a little bit of it. And for a couple weeks, I was obsessed with playing this mode. It was that much fun. So overall, I think this mode is fantastic. I definitely think if you're a Hitman fan, it's something you need to try. You need to experience. But you just need to be aware that, look, man, if this is your first campaign, it's going to handcuff you a little bit. You got to kind of make your opportunities. You got to kind of get into it. But there's a lot of fun to be had. Overall, if I was going to give this a review score, understand that I'm only grading this strictly on the mode. I'm not grading it on the mechanics of Hitman, the locations of Hitman, the graphics, none of that. I am just saying how this mode works. I would say right now in its current form, it's an 8.25. And I say that because it's a lot of room to grow and be great. And I do believe if you stuck with it, or if I stuck with it, I should say, and kept playing through the campaigns multiple times, I think by the third or fourth one, you'd have so many rewards, so many items you've built up, that it would be a blast. Uh, I just think, again, beginning is a little handcuffing, but there's an awesome amount of detail and fun to be had here. So gamers, I wanted to take a little bit of time today and I wanted to talk about exclusives. Look, at the end of the day, there's a lot of talk about exclusives because ultimately, Xbox buying publishers. They bought Bethesda and now we're looking at those games, for example, Starfield and Elder Scrolls as games that when they were first announced strictly by Bethesda, everybody knew they were coming on PlayStation and Xbox. And we also know from recent court documents that during the time of the buyout, PlayStation was actually trying to work with Bethesda to get an exclusivity on Starfield. So that means that there was a version being made for PlayStation, right? You don't just copy and paste the files and put it on a PlayStation disc or an Xbox disc. You have to make them for each system. But 
here's the deal, exclusives, they can be scary because as a PlayStation guy, I know I don't get to play Starfield. I know I'm pretty much locked out of probably Fallout and Elder Scrolls, even though I do wish Xbox would be a little less vague in their wording and just tell us what's going to happen, right? But I do think exclusives, while they can be scary and they can lock you out of things, I think they are ultimately important for the bigger picture. A console, a company, a branding has to have a culture behind it. And in the world of gaming, the culture is made up entirely by the games that they produced. When you think about Sony and their exclusives, you start to think about the games like God of War, like Ghost of Tsushima, like these games, and you kind of get an idea of what they make. When you think of Xbox, you think of things like Gears of War, of Fable, of Forza. When you go to Nintendo, you instantly think of Mario and Zelda. Like, they make up the culture. You know what to expect from these companies. And they also drive consumers to buying that console. Now, let's just put it out there. I own a PlayStation and a Nintendo Switch. I don't own an Xbox. I haven't owned an Xbox since the 360. I'm sure there are plenty of other gamers out there that only own either one console, two consoles, but I think there's a lot of people ultimately that don't own an Xbox and a PlayStation. I kind of think it's a lot of people are either or at this point, right? And that's fine, no matter what your choice is. I personally don't have an Xbox because I don't have time to invest in playing a lot of PlayStation games and a lot of Xbox games. So I go with the one that I feel the most called to, PlayStation, and I try to play as many games as I can. But that does leave me looking across the aisle at Xbox when they release an awesome game going, man, I wish I could play that. But it is what it is. It's a choice I make. It's a choice you guys have probably made as well. So when it comes to exclusives, I think I have an idea for how I think Microsoft should handle these acquisitions going forward. Let's talk about Call of Duty, right? Because that's the big one. That's the one in court right now. And yes, I know with the Activision Blizzard deal, there's a lot more than just Call of Duty on the line. However, Call of Duty is the headliner, right? That's the most popular game franchises right now in gaming. It makes all this money. And it's the one that Sony is really heavily invested in not wanting to lose. However, I don't think there was ever a worry that Microsoft was going to make Call of Duty exclusive to Microsoft anytime soon. I, I really don't. Like, number one, I, I think they just wanted to be able to include it as a reason to invest in Game Pass, right? Like, they've put that in there, whether it's just the latest games or all the Call of Duties, like it just makes the value of Game Pass go up a little bit, right? On top of that, when you look at the future investment, it's a huge investment for Microsoft. They're going to spend $70 billion to get this franchise as the headliner, but then they're going to be able to sell it to Nintendo consumers. They're going to be able to sell it to PlayStation consumers. And what that means is if I buy it for 70 bucks on PlayStation, that is a $70 profit that Xbox gets to, you know, take care of. They get to use that money to cover any of the profit they may lose by having it on Game Pass, right? You pay 15 bucks, but you have access to the $70 game plus any other first party games. Eventually that eats into your profits, right? Like we do know that yes, Game Pass is profitable, but we also know that it kind of cannibalizes game sales over the board for Xbox. I mean, that's been out there for a while now. So what I'm saying is them using Call of Duty is an investment because it's going to get people to pay for it. It's going to help pay for that deal in the long run. And it's also going to be able to, for them to make money, make profit and invest in future games. So I'm not actually worried about that. I'm looking more at Bethesda because Bethesda is the one that really kicked me in the groin because I got to tell you, I love a lot of Bethesda games. And look, when people think of Bethesda, they think about 
Elder Scrolls and Fallout and of course Starfield now, but Bethesda is a publisher. It had a ton of great developers under them, right? I mean, you have Machine Gun games with Wolfenstein and the yet to really see anything but Indiana Jones game coming out. You also had id software where it's got doom coming out like there's a lot of cool stuff that they own tango with the evil within franchise like i mean again there's just a lot there and this is how i think microsoft should handle how they do specifically the bethesda exclusives going forward number one i do think that they should make starfield elder scrolls and fallout exclusive to the xbox brand and I know, I love those games. I mean, I can't speak for Starfield, but I love Elder Scrolls. I love Fallout. But I think they should make those exclusive. And there's two reasons why. Number one, Starfield. Look, I get it. At one point, there was a copy made for PlayStation. But it's been a couple years now since this buyout. That means that all the work being done over the last couple years has been paid for by Xbox. Like, that is their property now. That is how it is. That's The deal was legal. It went through. And they've put money into it. So it is theirs. And here's... The other thing is Starfield, Elder Scrolls, and Fallout, you know what they are? They are console sellers. They are the things that get people who want to play those games so bad to go, I got to play that game. If I got to buy a Series S, if I got to buy a Series X, I'm going to do it because I've got to play Elder Scrolls. I've got to play Starfield. I've got to play Fallout. Like, that's what happens. Those games will drive console sales. And to be honest with you, I think they kind of fit what... I think of when I think of Xbox games. Now, maybe that's because my first taste into a lot of Bethesda games, Fallout 3 and the Elder Scrolls Oblivion was on the Xbox 360. So maybe I just kind of associate with that. But I do feel like that would fit very well into the culture of Xbox. So I get it. With that being said, though, I do think that there is a chance for them to make money and kind of help heal this gaming divide with some other games. That's the games that I don't believe are console sellers. Look, I love Wolfenstein. But I don't think too many people, if they release it, are like, oh man, I gotta go buy Wolfenstein. But I don't think there's too many people that if they release Wolfenstein as only on Xbox, are going to be like, I'm gonna go invest the $500 in a new console to play this game. I don't think that's there. Indiana Jones, I'll be honest with you. I love Indiana Jones, but I don't know that I'm gonna invest $500 to play this game. Same thing can be said for Doom. However, if you put those games on a PlayStation, I'm gonna buy them. A lot of people are going to buy those games. Indiana Jones being as popular as a character he is, especially with the new movie coming out, like you put that game on PlayStation, guess what? All the profits you are going to make from the PlayStation players buying it, again, me paying 70 bucks is going to cover, for example, Hulking Yoda, who has Game Pass, his 15 bucks for the month to play it. I just think that is an excellent way to cover the cost that they're, they're kind of incurring with Game Pass. And again, I'm not. this isn't an anti-Game Pass thing. This is a way for Xbox to make money because I don't think those games are going to sell consoles to people. Same thing can be said with a potential Evil Within 3. I just think this is the way to get a ton of revenue for Xbox. It's a way to kind of invest in the investment you've already made. I think that's the way they should go forward. Now, looking over at PlayStation... I think, you know, there's a rumor that they may look to buy Take-Two software if they were to do that. Again, this is a complete rumor. I think everything coming out on Take-Two going forward, I don't think Sony would actually make exclusive. I think they would do the same way that I think Xbox is looking at doing Call of Duty as, hey man, that is free revenue. You think they're really going to make those 2K games as Sony exclusive or the next Red Dead or the next Grand Theft Auto? Sure, it would drive a lot of money over to PlayStation, 
But I don't think that's what's happening. I think they would look at it as, hey, this is how we're going to make money back on our investment and make money from Xbox gamers. And I, I think it would be a big deal. I, I do think that right now, one of the biggest divides we have is people seeing franchises becoming exclusive potentially and being taken away from them. And I think that's what hurts. I think that's what's driving gamer versus gamer, if you will. And I think if they were to kind of hold back on some titles, but release a lot of the non-console sellers to each other, I think that would help uh, you know, the hostility in gaming, honestly. And I think it would help make a ton of money for these guys because i'm sorry you look at just indiana jones as popular as it is 18 million xbox users and, and to be honest with you a lot of people on game pass with that so at that case you go okay well 18 million people there might be like 1 million people that's probably going to actually go out and buy this game versus playstation having 30 million people on the ps5 there might be probably four or five million people that's going to go out and buy this game so it instantly covers that cost of making the game and putting it on game pass so ultimately what I'm trying to say with all this exclusive talk and all that is, yeah, I know it can be scary, but I'm hoping cooler heads prevail. I'm hoping the idea of making money prevails. And I just hope that us as gamers, we're not going to get screwed. We're not going to be forced to buy every console just because games are being bought, you know, by bulk now. You know, publishers are being bought means all these studios are being bought. I, I don't want to see us gamers do that because I think that's going to be really bad for gaming in the long run. Alright game, so let's talk about the graveyard shift. Now in this graveyard shift, I want to be honest with you, I'm not going to get too involved and detailed with each of these games. I actually managed to play a few games over the PlayStation 5 and the Nintendo Switch, so therefore I want to kind of keep it a little bit light on each one, or we'll be here for a while. So let's start off, let's talk about Hitman. Obviously I talked about the Freelancer mode, and I want to talk about my two favorite missions that I completed during my time with the freelance mode. The first one was in Bangkok. It was just a regular mission just taken out of Target and it was kind of cool because I mentioned it that some of these you know targets it just seems like they're randomized NPCs. Well this one was a guy that actually had people surrounding him. It was like he was a business guy so again I don't know if you go into the map regularly if that is just a business guy or what but I thought it was pretty cool. Thing is, going into this mission, I had just unlocked one of those proximity bomb duckies, and I just happened to take it with me. So I'm trying to figure out the best way to take this guy out without everybody going crazy. And I realized if I go up a little bit, he's kind of at the fronter edge of the hotel, kind of with the view in front of him. I can step back to the balcony right above that, and I toss the ducky, and it lands right between him his beach chair and the NPC. And that's important because the NPC starts walking towards his beach chair and I'm like, crap. But it just so happens that my target heard the ducky. So he's the one that walks over there. He gets there first, explodes, takes him out. I thought that was awesome and very classic Hitman, if you will. The next thing I did was a showdown mission and I talked about those. I go into this one, it was at the Dartmoor Manor. Now, let me just say that that location really kind of, it's awesome in the main game and it's still a great location. But for freelance mode, it kind of sucks in a way because, for one, if you've played it in Hitman 3 specifically, you actually can get access to a detective outfit and it allows you to get free roam to almost everywhere. And that's important because in this level, it's multi-layered and man, almost every disguise doesn't work from one level to another. And specifically in freelance mode, you actually start off in the weirdest location. You start off on the top balcony where a lot of people are gathered right under you. So it's, it kind of doesn't make any sense. 
But I digress. I actually started off and I brought a sniper rifle with me. I didn't realize that it was going to come in a suitcase. I don't know why I wasn't thinking about that. And unfortunately, to get around off that balcony, you have to climb down the sewer poles, right? Because you don't have a disguise and, and whatnot. So I found that if I threw it from one balcony to the next, I could climb down, get it, throw it to the next one, and keep moving until I could get it to a place that either A, I could use it, or B, I could hide it so that when I left the mission, I could take it with me. Well, when I threw it down, wouldn't you happen to know that one of the maids walking around saw it, was like, ooh, what's this? Picked it up and went and stored it in a cache that I was never able to get to by the time I completed that mission. So therefore, I lost that sniper rifle. Sucks. But actually taking out the target was cool because I had to pay attention to each and every one of those possible targets. I finally narrowed it down to the final one. And it was great because he actually secluded himself. So I was able to get up to him, take him out without anybody else around. Now what sucks is as I was walking out, again, it's one of those levels that different areas of your disguises are just not going to work. And one guy noticed me. So people were like, what? Who's that guy? People go crazy. I actually had to hide. And then as soon as everybody was clear, I was able to run out of there and get to the exit point and complete the mission. So unfortunately, I lost the sniper rifle, but at the end of the day, I did take out the target. And it was just cool, man. It was a really great way to see that showdown in action because that was just a really cool mission. Next, I want to talk about Gotham Knights because here's the deal. I know when that game came out, everybody just complained because it was less than 30 frames per second. And I, I don't know. It, it just people were hating on that game for no real good reason, in my opinion, because I've only put about four hours into the game. And I can tell you that for me, I've loved those four hours. This last couple of weeks when I played it, I actually did a main mission where I had to infiltrate the Gotham City Police Department, and I was playing as Nightwing, and I loved it, man. There was case files you could read for all the other Batman family members, uh, and look, the cops don't necessarily like the Bat family in this game. That doesn't mean that they're bad or anything like that, but you definitely want to stay away. You don't want to get seen, and I just thought the stealth mechanics were on point. It was awesome. I love the story of getting into the police department i loved somebody you run into while you're there and i can't wait to see how that plays out later so ultimately i had a ton of fun then i kind of messed around in the training in the belfry and played as each of the four different characters kind of see how the training was how their combat was and i gotta admit man it seems like they are all different and that's a lot of fun i kind of dig that man that's going to make this game have a lot of variety after that i've only played as red hood as i really just did some street crimes and one cool thing about gotham city in this game is people are actually on the street unlike arkham knight where they're gone away, or Arkham Origins, where it's, you know, a lockdown or whatever. People are actually on the streets, but you have a lot of random crimes to fight, and I wish I could tell you I've done a lot of interrogations, but I keep forgetting to actually take down the people that I can interrogate. So I've just been having a lot of fun getting in a bunch of fights, trying out the different travel modes, trying just to explore the city and just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it. So I can't wait to really get back to that game and make it my focal game. Another game I've got to is WWE 2K22. As you guys know, I've talked about it before. I'm really looking forward to 2K23. I don't know that I'm going to jump on it right away because I didn't get 2K22 until kind of late in the game. So either way, definitely had a lot of fun with it. I picked up the season pass. It was on a really good sale. So that meant I got to play as RVD, LA Knight. I got to have a couple matches as Cactus Jack. I even got to have a match as Almost versus Hurricane because I wanted to just see the size difference. And yeah, it's definitely there. Definitely really cool to check out. But the cool thing was playing My Rise. Because I had an awesome couple of storylines. The first one was Randy Orton just randomly calls me out. Calls me an indie garbage wrestler. That leads us to having a fight at an indie event. And I thought it was really cool because they actually designed a smaller arena. Smaller venue. I thought it was pretty fun. Then you go on and you fight him on SmackDown. And I actually kicked his butt. And I just thought it was a really cool story. That led to me deciding to 
participate into the King of the Ring tournament. What was really cool about that is my final opponent was taken out. He was medically beat up. He couldn't compete. Guess who filled in for him? That's right, the Viper, Randy Orton. So it kind of continued that storyline from earlier. And these were two separate stories, by the way. So this was just maybe happenstance or whatever it was. But I thought it was really cool. I beat him. I am the king of the ring. Other than that, I did finish the superstar mode of universe mode, if you will. And I got to say, I've talked about it before. I wasn't a big fan of the superstar focused one. I, I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, you can kind of pick to have storylines and all these things. But for the most part, it you didn't have the total freedom that you do in the normal, classic, traditional universe mode. So I got the trophies that I needed to in Superstar, and now I am actually starting my traditional universe mode, which I'm excited for. It's usually a mode that I spend a ton of hours in each and every year, and I've got some really cool ideas that I want to do overall. Plus, I have an AEW uh, arena and show set up in my universe mode, and I have an idea for that, a storyline that I actually want to share with you guys as I go through it. I'm looking at the best way to do that with you guys, but ultimately I'm very excited to really put some more time into WWE 2K22's Universe Mode and My Rise because I've had a ton of fun with that as well. Now I'm going to switch over to the Nintendo Switch and I'm going to talk about Mario, Super Mario Odyssey, if you will, because I actually got to the Lost Kingdom. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is important because when I first got to the Lost Kingdom, I didn't really dig it. I was really not understanding how to get around. I just couldn't figure things out. For whatever reason, it was not hitting with me. And then I realized these giant steps, if you get to the top of them and do the smash button, it'll flip them. And once I realized that, that allowed me to get all the way around that arena and go to different places. And at that point, guys, I loved that kingdom. I had so much fun with it, collecting as many moons as I possibly could, exploring every little nook and cranny. And it's actually a very... Uh, small in comparison to the other kingdoms, so a lot of fun with that, but you know, ultimately I got to the next kingdom, which is the Metro Kingdom, which is the one that I was most interested in going into this game because it actually looks like New York City, and it looks like real people, you know, like they're tall and thin, and then you have short, chunky Mario, so really cool stuff, man, can't wait to explore more of it. I did also spend some more time on the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game on the Switch, with that Cowabunga collection, I am happy to say I am way farther than I ever got as a kid. I actually got to this point in this level where getting through it, man, Donatello, Leonardo, and Raphael, man, they were all super low on health. And if you've ever played the game and you get a turtle low on health, you get that alarm that goes off constantly, that's what they were all doing. And look, Donatello is like my savior in that game. He has the reach with his staff that just you need. Leo is like my second place, and then Raph and Mikey are kind of, they're equal for like, eh, they don't really help you out too much, but the cool thing is in that game is it's classic old school Nintendo, meaning when you walk into a room, say there's like an item, if you walk out of the room and go back in, that item is back there. So I had to go through that map, man, it's a pretty big map, and I had to find where I could get a pizza, right? Like, And I think it was a half a pizza, so I could fill up half the health, and man, I had to take the time with Michelangelo and go through each level and switch over to a different turtle like Donatello, go through it twice to be able to fill him all the way up, switch to Mikey. And just keep doing that back and forth until I was able to get all of my turtles full health, leaving there to continue on with it. So I thought that was a pretty big pat on my back because that was about 30 minutes of just like, I got to get these guys full on health or I'm not going to complete this. So definitely cool stuff with that. Now, I am also very excited to say that my wife recently picked me up as a present, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Look, guys. I'm a huge, huge fan of the Marvel Ultimate Alliance games and the X-Men Legend games. Before that, I've talked about that previously, and this was a game I was hoping to get for Christmas. Unfortunately, she just wasn't able to find it, but she was able to get it to me for my birthday. And let me just say, 
Whoo boy, I have been loving this game. It is very classic Marvel Ultimate Alliance, and with that, you can take it as you will. They, I don't think so far in the couple hours I put into it that they did anything to really like change the prior formula. I would almost say it fits between Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1 and Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, where I feel like there was a pretty big jump between the first one and the second one with things you can do and team-ups and characters. I feel like this kind of rides the line right in the middle. So if you like both those games, you'll definitely like this game. And I got to say, the first level, you actually play as the Guardians of the Galaxy. From there, you switch to the Rift, where I thought it was pretty cool because as you're going through there, you're fighting different people. More heroes show up to help you out. And I will say that. That is really cool. Like, it does not slowly drop new characters like you're constantly getting new heroes to play as and what i like about it is i was able to create my spider-man team which was spider-man gwen stacy miles morales and venom and i had a lot of fun with that team and man i had a couple of tough boss fights in fact when i fought dr octopus i got to the point that i was down to just venom spider-man gwen stacy miles morales they were all knocked out one more hit would have probably killed Venom. One more hit would have killed Doc Ock, and I was able to take Doc Ock out. So it was a very stressful moment for me, but overall, I have thoroughly enjoyed Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. So, gamers, the next game I want to talk about on the Nintendo Switch is actually Assassin's Creed Black Flag. That's right, I went out and I actually picked up the Rebel Collection, which is Black Flag and Assassin's Creed Rogue. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't really plan on messing around with Rogue too much on the Nintendo Switch, mainly because... I picked it up a couple months ago on the PS4, and it is a platinum chase for me, but I'm not going to lie. Assassin's Creed 4 is just a fun game. It's one that I've wanted to replay. Now, look, the pirate stuff is what I talk about, the fun, but I've always talked about it. You can check out my list for Assassin's Creed games on this podcast. It's one of my least favorite Assassin's Creed games because I wasn't a big fan of Edward. I wasn't a big fan of the story, what you were chasing after. I just felt like the present day was not good it was like hey what's going to happen next what's the next chapter and they let us down with it so ultimately while it's fun to just cruise around and be a pirate i just always felt very disappointed with the main story so i kind of wanted to do a redemption playthrough potentially because when i replayed unity over the summer last year i fell in love with it and look i liked unity before but this past playthrough i said holy crap this is actually one of my favorite games in the series at this point and I've actually been reading a lot of the Assassin's Creed novels, so Assassin's Creed 4 was just on my mind. I couldn't get away from it, so I finally did it. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to put it up on the PS4 because ultimately, as much as I want to play Rogue, I keep having a hard time making time to play Rogue. But on the Switch, hey man, I might be able to put some time in there, play a couple missions, enjoy being a pirate a lot more at night. So that's what I did. And I gotta say, so far, graphically, I think it looks pretty good. I'm gonna say, to me, the more I've played of it, I think it fits right there between the PS3 version that I've played and the PS4 version that I've seen videos and things like that. So I don't think it's necessarily uh, top-level graphics. I don't think it's right there with what the PS4 was able to do when it came out. But I also think it's a step up from what I've seen when I played on the PS3. Gameplay, though, i got to be honest with you, it feels like Assassin's Creed. I was really worried it was going to be kind of janky and not as good on the Switch. So far, it's been extremely smooth. My biggest issue is just... The X, Y, B, and A button being completely different than what I'm expecting to see with playing on PS4 all these years. So there's that adjustment to get to. But overall, I've had a lot of fun with it. I haven't got that far into it. I've really just done the, you know, the beginning story. Kind of actually found myself kind of interested in Edward a little bit more. Where you kind of see that cutscene where he's talking to his wife and he's basically saying, I don't want to just barely get by. I want to have money. I want to make 
something of myself. And he goes off and becomes a pirate. And the storyline so far kind of has me hooked. I've only made it to Havana, which if you don't remember or you never... That is actually very shortly into the game. The game starts off, you get that opening cutscene. You have like a cool naval battle, which introduces you to the you know, fighting mechanics on ships, and I thought that was cool. Then you get on this island where ultimately you're going to chase down this assassin and get his robes, and I did that. Then I just kind of explored that island, had a lot of fun collecting all the different things they had, and at that point, uh, you get into another area where you got to take some people out. That was cool. Then you make your way to Havana. Havana is huge, and there I've really just done some viewpoints, a couple missions, and, you know, just kind of familiarizing myself with the Switch layout, the trolls the gameplay all that stuff but i can tell you so far i have thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed my time with assassin's creed 4 on the switch which was something i was kind of yeah cautious that i would but so far between assassin's creed 4 just being enjoyable and then the switch being you know handling it very well i'm enjoying it i can't wait to keep talking to you guys about that going forward however i am finally back as my main game to plagues tell requiem and i can tell you this right now Plague's Tale Innocence was my favorite game of 2021. It was my number one game. I gave it a perfect 10, so I was very excited to play Requiem. Unfortunately, it got delayed with me playing it because of a little game called God of War Ragnarok that I knew I wouldn't be done with Plague's Tale by the time that game came out, so I just kind of held off on playing it. I finally got a chance to really get into the game, and I gotta say, I am loving the story. I love Amicia and Hugo and just their struggles and what's going on with Hugo and all the rats and stuff and... Oh, man, just when you get to areas where you see all the rats on screen, it is like it's got to be a million rats. Like it is so many rats. And there are some really cool moments where you're being chased and all you have to do is hold down the right trigger, run and get around obstacles and get away from them. And whoo, man, the intensity of that is just off the charts. Storyline wise, I'm not going to get too much in detail, but I can tell you that Hugo is definitely going through something. He's getting close to that third threshold, which in the first game they told you, man, that is that is it. And Amicia is also going through something as well that I'm very interested to see how they explain it going forward. During my time so far in the story, I have seen civilians being killed by rats and by the military. I've seen entire cities being taken down. And I gotta say, the latest mission I got to, oh man, I actually unlocked a new weapon. And it is the crossbow. And whoo boy, I remember in the first game thinking, man, if I just had a different way to take out these enemies, something more than a sling would be awesome. Ooh, we got it now. So I'm very interested to see how that goes going forward. I will say, I think my only drawback to the game so far is the enemy aggression is a little bit too high. Like, these guys can see you far off, and once they get on you, man, they are relentless. It is very hard to just get away from them where they won't find you again. And this game, I don't know, I, I think it's a little bit high on that. And then I will also say this game kind of tracks you by how you play, whether you play as pure stealth pure aggressive or opportunistic which is kind of like right in the middle and what i don't necessarily like about that is one it's tied to trophy and that kind of hinders getting a platinum but the other big thing is you get skills with each of those and depending on your playstyle, it might hinder you from getting those skills that you might actually want so it's one of those things that i think the more i play the more you know i'll kind of figure out how i like it how i don't but just off the top of my head those are the two kind of negative marks i had but between the graphics being mind-blowing the story being so good the character work oh man i am thoroughly thoroughly loving plague cell requiem now i want to do something I, I haven't done this in a while it seems like after sometime last summer last spring i just kept wanting to do these things and i just kept forgetting and that is i want to bring back my shout out of the month my trophy of the month and my game of the month and i'm going to start right here and I'm going to do my first 
shout out of the month in a very long time. Shout out of the month, if you don't know, it's basically me kind of giving a shout out to a game that I haven't played in a long time, but it's been on my mind a lot. Whether I play it or not, it's just there. And recently, that has been Assassin's Creed Origins. I'm going to be honest with you, playing through Black Flag as you're kind of walking in the present day through Abstergo Gaming Industries, you kind of see a silhouette on one of the screens. It kind of flashes up and goes away. To me, it kind of looked like a rough uh, Bayak, if you will. Like maybe that was like a rough draft of what he's going to look like, a kind of hint of what's to come. You didn't see any pyramids. It just it looked like him from behind. Could have been anything could have been nothing. I do know that at certain points during the quote-unquote rumored Assassin's Creed Origins time, meaning before they officially announced it, we kept seeing leaked protagonist screenshots, and this kind of looked like that. So, you know, hey, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, game development takes a few years, but ultimately, seeing that, thinking about Bayak, and then I've been seeing a bunch of Assassin's Creed Origins pictures pop up on my time hop lately, and I'm just sitting there going, man, that game, to me, was probably the best game in the Assassin's Creed series. Look, my favorite is Syndicate. I, I've said that, I maintain that. But when I look at everything all together, I think Origins is probably the best game in that series. The gameplay was, first off, it was a soft reboot. Let's just start there. And I think it might be one of the best soft reboots in gaming. But the gameplay was so well done to be something new for the series. The world of ancient Egypt was so awesome and it was so varied. I think everybody expected just a couple pyramids and a desert, but man, you had woods. You had the giant river to deal with. You had just different areas that just looked varied and unique. You had the great story. You had Cleopatra. You had Mark Anthony. You had all kind of awesome stuff going on that just really sit there and made you go, man, this game is awesome. And then, you know, Bayak probably, in my opinion, again, I think he's better than SEO as far as a main protagonist goes. And then you had his wife. Aya, who was so awesome, and it just sucks that all we got was the main game and the Hidden Ones, like, DLC, and yeah, we also had the Curse of the Pharaohs, but Hidden Ones was the, kind of the next step for them, too. I would have loved to seen another game follow up on their adventures. I would have loved to seen an Aya-based game. I mean, she was awesome, and on top of that, man, like, I know when you read, like, kind of the development of the game, there was actually supposed to be a point halfway through the game where Bayek died and you took over as Aya. So it would have been really interesting. I'm not saying I wanted that. I enjoyed playing as Bayek the whole time. But I do think it would have been cool if, you know, hey, maybe they would have incorporated the system that they had in Syndicate where you could switch between Jacob and Evie. Maybe it would have been cool if they would have done that in Origins and you would have switched between Bayek and Aya at some point. I mean, you do get to play yourself a little bit, though, but I, I don't know. Overall... It just made for such an amazing game that I'm still thinking about it. And you know what? I'm sitting here going, you know, I never did finish all the side missions. Maybe I should jump back in that game, finish all the side missions. I don't know. I just, it's drawing on my mind really, really heavy. So it definitely gets the shout out of the month. Gamers, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Graveyard Gaming. Thank you for coming back to me. And you know what? I hope you enjoyed talking about the Hitman Freelance mode. I'd love to know your thoughts and opinions on that. Love to know your thoughts and opinions on Xbox and their exclusives and all of those games I played on the Graveyard Shift. Of course, you can always let me know at thegraveyardgamer at gmail.com, thegraveyardgamer on Instagram, or thegraveyardg on Twitter. Till next time, I'll be creeping around the graveyard.